0: And if you're here with us for the predictions, make sure to do us a quick favor and hit that like button. The pay-per-view this week is headlined with a killer lightweight bout between Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler for the vacant lightweight belt there. And the last pay-per-view in front of the crowd absolutely delivered. We've seen two huge fights with, you know, Leon Edwards and Nate fall off and now Shabazi and Hunter Manson. Hopefully it doesn't continue, man, because some solid fights on this pay-per-view.
1: Yeah, this marks the fourth pay-per-view in a row that the UFC has given us a quality card. Mm-hmm. And even with those fights dropping, we've still got an awesome lineup here. Mm-hmm. Last week, uh, we went 3-6 and six on our picks, but thankfully our biggest bet on Gregor Gillespie mm-hmm. did cash. Um, we also we started out r- hot right out of the gate with the Carlson Harris mm-hmm. pick. That one was pretty smooth. It was the Kyle Daukus one that we were kind of surprised with. Yeah. I mean, Phil Hawes, nobody knew that he had that type of gas tank. constantly in him.
0: making improvements, it looks like.
1: yeah, and it was it was weird because early on, Docus touched him up like mm-hmm. we thought he would, and we thought we might have had that bet going our way. Um, but like I said, Hawes just kind of pulled in with that cardio and kind of threw us off guard. Then uh, Donald Cerrone, you know, that was a parlay with Amanda Ribas that mm-hmm. kind of fell out. And Cerrone just didn't show up. You yeah. know, I, I think we can finally say that he's kind of reached the last leg of his career, mm-hmm. and that kind of sucks to say for a legend like Cerrone. Right. Thank God Morona did show
0: up, so we cashed that under two and a half yes. there to make
1: up for a little bit. For sure. And then in Chukui and the Joon Young Park, man, yeah. Park again, it's just kind of, he's become known for not really getting that finish. Right. Um, that I'll definitely remember that moving forward. Mm-hmm. And then Trezano one, you know. Super close, I guess. There was some uh, couple moments where we, you know could have
0: had a finish, but ultimately, kind of a lackluster fight that we kind of saw seeing the judges. Kind of when it started, you know.
1: Yeah, and I'm not really sure if Terzano won that one, yeah. but uh, I'm not calling a rob- calling it a robbery by any means. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Uh, we've had this Tony Ferguson play locked in for a while yeah. now, and um, we're finally getting to see it. Mm-hmm. You know, we we took it at, I think, plus 138, plus 140, plus 138. Like we haven't seen that work out in our favor, but we are still fairly confident on yeah. our Tony Ferguson pick. Absolutely. And uh, we've got a banger of a card, so let's go ahead and Absolutely. jump right into it. We start off in the lightweight division where we see the return of Sean Soriano, who's 14 and 6, taking on 18 and 8 Christos Giagos. Uh, so, like I said, Soriano, this is his second time around mm-hmm. in the UFC. You know, he initially entered in 2013, uh, didn't work out so well for him. Uh, he's kind of put together this. Sh- string of wins on the regional scene and even that has been kind of sketchy mm-hmm. uh he, he definitely has shown holes in his game and i'm I'm guessing that's something that Yagos is going to look to capitalize on you know he's known to start really really fast mm-hmm. uh, but also known to kind of gas out early how do you see this fight going yeah man i'm right there with you i think uh, i think i do lean toward Yagos here both these guys
0: first time covering them here for the podcast you know and both these guys also like you said in their second stint with the ufc jago so you know first time around i think he goes like one and two but they give him somebody like gilbert burns in his Mm -hmm. debut you know someone who's fighting for the welterweight title and and um you know chris wade who we've seen in the finals of pfl twice a very good wrestler and um you know this time around a little bit better he's three and two but you know still one of those losses to a you know debuts back again the second time to olivera who's fighting in our main event this weekend he's also fought josh emmett you know you see him lose to these guys, but just being in the cage with him, you know, it helps him grow as a fighter and stuff like that, so it's definitely people, you know, Sean Soriano's not been in the, uh, you know, the ring with. He's coming off that win over Carlson minus, and any time you break Carlson minus down, you, you know, he doesn't really get the fair shake from a lot of people and stuff, but, you know, he did kind of shut him out there, and he took it on, like, two or three days' notice where he was, you know, openly talking about cutting 30, 40 pounds, something like that. It was real rough for his body, you know, and still went the distance, and, his last three wins he's landed sixteen takedowns, so he's really found a love for his wrestling there. With uh Sean Soriano, you know, he's 0-3 that first time around, got taken down twelve times, um, submitted twice. So, you know, the holes are there for Yagos, I think. Sean doesn't have the, the best get up game, the best bottom game there, and you touched on the regional scene. It is a little weak. He you know, he is finishing those guys like you you know, like you like to see. And he is at Sanford MMA where he's helping out with Usman and stuff for his camp and Michael Chandler here. Um, I just see Yagos having a clear path, honestly, you know, getting on the ground. And I think I tweeted out yesterday or something, that plus one, plus 1,000 sub line for Yagos, I think it's broken. You know, you've seen Sean submitted a majority of his losses, and I've already talked about the game plan that we've seen Yagos come out here with a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I just got that gut feeling, man, that Yagos is going to submit Sean Soriano on Saturday.
1: I actually really like that play. Another thing to note is... That the under is set at plus 175, Mm -hmm. and if you see that Yagos has the finishing upside, he's the one that's coming into this with his last four fights going to decision. Mm -hmm. And on the Soriano side, in his last last five fights, four of those are finishes. Mm -hmm. So to get plus money um, on this fight, I think that that's a spot that we might be looking to play. We always love making plays right out the gate. Yes, sir. Staying in our lightweight division, we have Kevin Aguilar, who's coming in at even money, taking on Tucker Lutz, who's the minus 120. Aguilar, you know, he came into the UFC with an impressive two-fight win streak over Rick Glenn and Barzola, and you really, you know, you didn't know, you, you thought that he, he definitely had potential in the right. UFC, but since then, he's on an L3, and uh, you just, you know, it's kind of hard to gauge where you're at when you're losing uh, split decisions to Charles Rosa up at 155, right. you know? Uh, and Tucker Lutz, he's making his his debut in the UFC. He's on an eleven fight win streak, mm-hmm. having only lost his first fight, his first pro fight. Uh, competition level, though, pretty questionable, yeah. man. Whenever you whenever you look down that list of opponents that he's faced, uh, none of them really stand out at all. Uh, it seems like. From the from the limited amount of tape study I did, Lutz is going to have the grappling edge here, mm-hmm. uh, but it is tough to gauge where he's at when he's faced such limited competition. How do you feel this right feel there, about this fight? Right there with you, man. It's a tricky fight here for me to to be honest with you.
0: Kevin Aguilar, very very experienced, fifteen fight amateur career, twenty one professional fights. You know, at thirty two years old, he's already approaching that forty fight mark, and um, maybe it's the fight miles or something. But it, it kind of looks like the body's not really starting to perform the way he likes it to. He is the, you know, the longest reigning LFA champion in history, had the, you know, held the featherweight belt there for a long time, defended against some names, uh, you know, we saw in the UFC, like, um, you know, Leonard Garcia, who was a Damon Jackson, Tony Kelly, you know, kind of bottom of the barrel, but still liked to note him and stuff. And you, you're right, man, started off hot in the UFC, beat two really good names, um, but currently uh, on that losing streak, man, and you know, the one I kind of give him a pass to is Dan Ige, you know, he's a top seven, eight featherweight in the world, but to be finished on the feet by Zubaira and then to lose to Charles Rosa at the form we've seen Charles Rosa lately in, it leads me to believe that his career path is definitely on the downward slope there. And My biggest knock on Ke- Kevin Aguilar is the volume. man. This guy's been to the judges' scorecards on five of his last six, um, and he's yet to eclipse 100 strikes. He put up 90 against Rick Glenn and that beat down, but he's usually sitting in the 50s and 60s. The volume's just really lacking, um, looks to counterpunch a lot. Um, and on the side of Tucker Lutz, pretty experienced for a 26-year-old, 8, eight fight amateur, um, you know, streak. And you touched on him losing that first pro fight, uh, winning every fight since there. You know, two contender series wins. So it's a lot of pressure on your back there, and that competition. You're right, it, it sucks. There's no no other words for it. The, with the Blackledge win, at least he had to close a lot of distance there. You know, to to get his game going there. He was at a lot of big like size and length disadvantage i give it to him, you know, he's more—he's younger and more athletic, and I, he mixes his game up way better than Aguilar does, so the wrestling does help his hands out a lot. Um, I compare it to our opener last week of Carlson Harris versus Christian Aguilera, not just because of the names, but... Um, you know the newcomer there. I, I feel like there's a clear grappling upside for him. Mm-hmm. But if you know, if the first couple takedown attempts get stu- you know, get stuffed, and Aguilar starts to find success on the feet, he stuffed eight for eight against Barzola and stuff. You know, he can make it a pretty interesting one if he continues to stuff these takedowns on Tucker Lutz.
1: Yeah, and this one, you know, with the three-fight losing streak coming out of Aguilar, this is kind of a make-or-break fight mm-hmm. for him, so we really could see him try and go all out here, uh, which is kind of interesting. We see the under two and a half sitting at plus 175. Do you have a feel on that one? Uh, I know what you mean. Backed in the corner, definitely expect a um, you know a showing
0: from Kevin Aguilar, man, but the volume sucks on his part and stuff. He's, he's really just trying to search for that home run shot, and he's got a wrestler here who's been a decision the last two, looks to lay on you quite a bit. Um, tricky fight to call altogether, and uh, I think it's one that I'm probably going to lay off altogether.
1: Another reason to lay off that under is uh, Kevin Aguilar up at 155 for the second time mm-hmm. in his career. And even at 145, he's not really known to have a power punch. Right. Uh, so I can't imagine him getting any more or having any more power going up a weight class. I probably see it hitting over as well. Mm-hmm. Moving on, we go to our women's flyweight division where we see Danger Gina Mazzani who is the minus 210 favorite, taking on zombie girl Priscilla Cachoeira, who is the plus 175. Uh, Gina Mazzani, you know, this is her second time at flyweight, and uh, she's now training at a glory MMA, Mm -hmm. which seems to have been the move for her career. Uh, You know, she's known for not really having the best striking defense, but when it gets to the ground, as we saw Mm -hmm. in that last fight against Rachel Ostovich, uh, she she she's a decent fighter, yeah. right? She held her own. She's a decent fighter. Where Priscilla, you know, she's kind of known for just taking that ass whooping yeah. against Valentina, yeah. and uh, outside of that, it's really it's it's tough to get a lot of positive, uh, make a lot of positive notes from what she's kind of been mm-hmm. able to produce over her UFC career. That went over Shayna Dobson. I mean, you know, Shayna Dobson's been the letdown of the UFC. Uh, this that that really doesn't tell me much. Um, although the, the Luana Carolina loss, I guess, is aging a little bit better. Yeah, uh, as good as it can, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: probably won't spend too much time on it here from me on my end. Probably, you know, the worst fight on the main card, or mm-hmm. first worst fight on the pay per view here. And until that goes, kind of shortly came together, Gina Mazzani was the biggest favorite on this card, which is flat out nuts. Um, you touch on it, second stint in the UFC. That first time thrown to the wolves, man. You know, Olympic wrestler and McMahon striker like Lena Landsberg, and then featherweight tough winner and Macy Chason, who's two weight classes bigger than Gina Mazzani now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one and one this time around here when she was taking a super short notice and you know didn't really get a showing. Julia Vila dusted her super quick, but um look good like you said against Rachel Ostevich and dominated on the mat where a lot of people thought, you know, Rachel Rachel was gonna have a chance and mm-hmm. come round three, put her away with that nice body kick there and um, you know, Tim and her both have made that move to Glory Mamaine. It seemed to make wonders for both of their careers. Her Cardio has been much, much improved and I think that camp is even at thirty two made Gina a little more of an improved fighter and coming in with a great game plan on the side of Prochilla. Um, you know, like you said, known for nothing, she has done good here, and, and even after that um, beat down that she took from the champ in Valentina, she goes on to lose two more to Molly McCann, um, then to Luana Carolina, and then gets popped by Usada, and you know, so to even get that Shayna Dobson fight, she's extremely lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, but Shayna Dobson is maybe even one of the only girls that she could probably beat in that flyweight division here, and um, you know, she did. She put her out in the first round with a nasty uppercut, but we've seen Priscilla have um, you know troubles on the scale causing her some missing performances but she has shown that she can live up to that zombie girl nickname with her durability and the kind of punches she can take and you know she comes out the gate hot looking to put you away here and you know I hate to say it that the under might be worth it here because Gina Mazzani is going to come out here and probably wrestle and I don't think Priscilla has the kind of cardio to you know keep it up and um, you know round one Priscilla knockout is always live but Never gonna catch me putting my money on it. Eileen Gina Mazzani here, um, but no reason should she be the second or first, uh, you know, biggest favorite on this card.
1: Yeah, I'm completely okay with laying off of this fight. You know, you talked about that under it's setting that plus plus two hundred five, and you you know you're talking like Cashero has the upside in the under, but I'm sorry, Mazzani coming off of her last four fights uh, being finishes. You Know, like you said, there might be some value there, but it is a girls' fight, and you, you got to take all that, you know, with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, don't know if that's going to be one that I play much better spots on the card. Mm-hmm. We stay in the women's flyweight division where we see KK, I mean, KGB Andrea Lee <laughs> taking on Antonina Shevchenko. KGB <laughs> Lee came into the UFC with a ton of hype on that three fight win streak and strung together a pretty good uh, pretty good wins and now she's uh, on a three fight losing streak and you know coming off of a loss to Roxanne Modaffari, it is tough to back somebody like, like Andrea Lee you know she's one of those girls who whenever she came into the UFC uh, people thought that she could be competitive against the Valentina Shevchenko mm-hmm. that she was the 125 front runner you know um, but definitely has kind of fallen to the wayside since then now you have Antonina Shevchenko where She's coming off that win over Ariana Lipsky, but that's not saying too much, you know. She has kind of resorted to a grappling-style attack, which is something that I like in a notoriously stand-up fighter that Shevchenko is. So that is nice that she's adapted that into her game. But at 36 years old, she's been outclassed a few times, which makes me a little hesitant to better. Yeah, man. With um, Andrea Lee... The last two or three, two of them been split
0: decisions. You see this girl, you know, complain half as much as Angela Hill does mm-hmm. there, um, and and you talked about her being like the front runner to the one twenty five. It's first time she's bet a betting underdog in any of her UFC fights. She's a minus two fifty against Joanne Calderwood, a minus three hundred against Lauren Murphy, and then a minus three hundred against Roxanne in that last performance there, and um, you know. I was really back in KGB there. you know. I know it was a rematch where Roxy had beat her before. Mm-hmm. KGB was 2-0. and Roxy was 16-11 and when they first fight, and it's a split decision. At the point in their careers they were, I thought it was going to be an easy win for Lee, and Roxy squeaks out a decision like she always does best. you know. Um, Andrea Lee, without a doubt, going to be at the striking disadvantage here to the Shevchenko sister, but I, I, I do think that the upside is definitely on her in the grappling uh, department. With Chevchenko, she's the older sister of Valentina, which a lot of people don't really recognize. She's thirty six years old. She's no spring chicken, and um, you know she actually took like an eleven year hiatus from her fighting career at one point mm-hmm. until you know started seeing her sister have all that success and got that kind of itch back into her. She's she's still just relatively inexperienced with MMA, despite having that Muay Thai background. On the feet, though, man, very very technical, good counter puncher, nasty the clinch there, and a ton of feints, and you know in the Lipsky fight grappling heavy from the get-go. Everybody's just awesome. You think their improvements are there. Then you check out Ariana Lipsky, and to me, man, her best win is the knee bar over Luana Carolina. You know, it's, it doesn't hold a lot of weight to me here, and it doesn't show me that she can grapple with someone like Andrea Lee who's been in there with both the girls who are in the number one contender fight in this division right now. Um, and also to see her as a minus 300 in all those fights, to now snag her where I got her at a plus 135, I see it as a pick and I thought there was value on Lee, um, but I don't ima- I don't have a problem saying that. I have a trouble seeing really who's going to win this fight. But the over two and a half's lock. Yeah, yeah, the over
1: two and a half at plus three forty, absolute lock. Minus it- three forty for the over. Yeah, <laughs> minus three forty for the over. Uh, the Antonina Shevchenko though, it's kind of weird that you said that. You kind of see Lee having the grappling mm-hmm. edge here, where I kind of see Shevchenko having the grappling edge, and just another reason why we're not making a bet on this fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that definitely is interesting. Moving all the way up to the middleweight division, we have the Night Wolf Jamie Pickett, who's 11 and five, taking on the Beverly Hills Ninja Jordan Wright, who's 11 and one. This fight currently sits at a pick 'em, and uh, we don't agree with it at all. You know, Jamie Pickett, he seems to have all the physical advantages yeah. you could possibly want—the athleticism, uh, the aggressiveness, everything—kind uh, of leans in the advantage of, of Pickett. Uh, he's kind of one of those fighters that looks to stay on the outside and counter, and you know, looking looking over his career, he's fought some power punchers and avoided, you know, getting finished even in his losses. Mm-hmm. Where you look at Jordan Wright, he's also kind of one of those guys that wants to stay on the outside, but uh, you know, he's known for folding under pressure, and we saw that in the Buckley and the the fluffy fight. Uh, right, he has five submissions on his record, but I do think it's a little bit misleading. I watched mm-hmm. those those fights, and none of those fights. Uh, were initi- the, the ground game was never initiated by Wright. It was just like he took advantages of the mistakes his opponents made. Yeah, man. Jordan Wright is, without a doubt, the worst resume I've ever seen of any fighter.
0: When you look through it, his first seven combined for an 0-36 record. And when he gets to a contender series, it's combined for an 8-41. This guy has definitely not seen the level of competition to prepare him for this level of fighting. And it was shown immediately right out the gates where Fluffy dust this guy in under a minute. I think that's when he decided to leave Jackson Wink or something, to, you know, to get some training in elsewhere. I think he got one more win over in LFA before the UFC gave him that short notice opportunity against Ike Villanueva, you know, up at 205 there. And he opens up with that spinning wheel kick that kind of drops Ike for a second. And then, you know, when they're they're on the fence, he lands that nasty knee now. I will admit, you know, I feel like the tights were turning a little bit, Nike was kind of starting to get that fight, you know, the grindy fight that he wants, and Jordan was maybe starting to slow down there up at 205, but, you know, regardless, that eyelid was mangled, man, and, you know, you, there was no continuing there, and back down to 185, where the UFC does him no favors, and gives him to Joaquin Buckley, fresh off his Impa, you know, Kasangane highlight, mm-hmm. basically just another, you know, um, you know, a highlight reel for Buckley, and Buckley left him in the dust come round two, but... On the side of Jordan, this guy has hard kicks from his striking range. He's nasty in the clinch. I mean, he tries to snipe you with that right hand when you close distance on him, but he's got a bad habit of putting his back up on the fence and just shelling up, like you said, anytime he takes some type of punch. And, you know, Jamie Pickett, uh, maybe not a whole bunch of finishes, but, you know, the guy does pack a punch with that athletic ability he has. His jab is really good. He's got a, str- a good straight left. Um, I think besides Ike, he's the most experienced person Jordan's fault to date you Mm -hmm. know um and then Juke we fight you know it sucks it really does suck he was put on the back of the fence and, and he was tore up in the clinch you know where we see Jordan have a lot of success with guys so I think that's one path that Jordan may actually look to use is to clinch him up but man I think Jamie Pickett has all the tools to get it done and you know Jordan Wright has shown me that that chin is really not there and if someone like the size of a 6'2", 80-inch frame picket touches him, he's going to go down.
1: Yeah, man, I'm glad that we're both leaning that side. There is a very interesting line out there, you know. If you like the over 1.5, that's a minus 150. Mm-hmm. If you like the under 2.5, that's a minus 160, which leads me to think that the fight's probably going to end that second round. Right. And if you go on to FanDuel right now, you could get what, what round the fight ends and you can pick round two at plus 380. And I think that that's a stab that I like. I think that that'll be just enough time for Wright to kind of figure out the timing and the distance of his kicks and for Pickett to finally kind of take the leap and and charge right where he could find that success kind of overwhelming him like the other opponents and Wright's past have had success with yeah man I think Jamie's gonna also try to get that read early and not just try to blitz him early and make a
0: mistake like maybe Ike did you know get Mm -hmm. that read um, like Buckley did stretch him out a little
1: bit find that punch come around too exactly we take a step down to the featherweight division where we see Mike Grundy, who sits at a minus 120, taking on groovy Lando Venata, who is the plus 100 right now. Yeah, talk about a striker versus grappler matchup right mm-hmm. here. Uh, you look at Grundy and you ca- you know exactly what you're going to get. Freestyle wrestling background. And uh, he kind of has that style that negates the flashy striker that we see in Lando mm-hmm. Venata, who's you know known to give you an exciting fight and known to throw some really unique techniques mm-hmm. out there. Uh, But in my head, you know, if Matt Frivola can wrestle you and find success, and even though that was an extremely close fight, I think that Grundy's wrestling is on a much higher level than Matt Mm -hmm. Frivola's, so it's tough for me not to want to jump on this Grundy line really, really hard, knowing that he has the style to put away somebody like Lando Fanata. What do you feel about this one? I think we see the fight
0: the same way here on Lando, though. You know, it's kind of trying to take a fresh start, dropping down to 145, and you look on his Instagram, he looks in killer shape, but you always got to wonder, you know, how that weight cut's going to come on Saturday there. You um, talk about excitement, and man, Lando burst onto the scene with so much of it. You know, he comes in taking Tony Ferguson on a short notice and drops him twice, has him somersaulting across the octagon, and, you know, he doesn't get the win there, but I think I've touched on it like the last two weeks. It's one of those guys where you lose your debut, but your stock goes through the roof, mm-hmm. you know. In the next fight they give him John McDessie and he, he hits him with that spinning wheel kick and everyone is like holy shit what do we have on our hands here on Lando Venata so they give him uh, David Tamor it's a minus 380 and go, Lando goes out there and just shits the bed you, you know, know? Mm-hmm. And, and really since then he's not really able to find a lot of success he's had those two draws and really can't find a win I guess unless it's like a give me like the Marcos Mariano or someone we're not too high on in the anti maderos you mm-hmm. know he's Lando is really technical on the feet. You know, he does have a little bit of a wrestling background. Wrestled at UTC for a semester where you and I went to college. Deluxe. That's right. And, uh, you know, working at Jackson Week Camp, who always has pretty decent wrestling there. He's working with Kevin Aguilar. Um, but that wrestling is really going to be tested come this fight here with Mike Grundy, who is maybe England's best wrestler. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you look through it, he's Team Caboon's uh, wrestling coach. You see Aspinall and Till and people like that training. Um reminds me of Gregor Gillespie a little bit. A little bit of late start to MMA, you know, but has all those grappling pedigrees and stuff prior to coming over here and just puts on a ridiculous pace and you know what the dude's game plan is, there's just no stopping it. Um with this guy's debut, I think it's over in London against Nad Diamari. It's like supposed to be a good win for him, man, and he showcases the wrestling a little bit and gets Nad thinking about that and then puts him out on the feet, you know, and Mm -hmm. In the next one, it's just a drastic step up when you get Mazvar Evalev, who's maybe a division sleeper at 145 and just downright bad matchup for, uh, for Mike Grundy. It's like, does Mike Grundy, you know, who and who in that division can maybe match him in the wrestling? Mazvar Evalev, you okay. know, who was a better striker than Mazvar Evalev. It's really, it was a tough fight for Mike Grundy, and he had that Dars choke locked up
1: tight. And I think he might have just gassed his arms out, you know, maybe used a lot of himself, and uh-huh. had some success in that fight, you know. He landed six takedowns against Evloyev, yep. which is something to note. And like I said, it's it's another one of those things. If Grundy can take down Evloyev, he's gonna be able to take down Venata. Just like I said, if if, uh, if Frivola has yep. success with Venata, then Grundy's gonna have success with him.
0: Lando's never been known to have that type of gas tank and uh, you know, if he's giving up a takedown, he's over seven, never wanna fight, man, and he's facing the best wrestler he's ever fought here. So the more I think about it, yeah, the more I am confident on betting Mike Grundy and you can also sweeten it up a little bit at a plus 200 Mike Grundy by decision because nobody's fin- finishing Lando Vanada. Right.
1: Moving up to the middleweight class, we have another pick 'em fight where we see Ronaldo Jaccaré Souza, who's 26 and 9, taking on Andre Mooneys, who's 20 and 4. Soza, 41 years old, yeah, man. coming uh, off of a, a pretty awful loss to Kevin Holland and you get really gotta ask if he's over the hill man yeah. you know if you look down look down the list in his past five fights he only has one win and it's over chris weidman and that was a a, a fight that he wasn't winning right. you know around three chris weidman it, it seems like on the feet soza is uh, you know slow yeah. telegraphs his shot doesn't yeah. move his head well uh, but when he gets it to the mat, you know, he's one of the greatest ever. And that's why he's still able to be competitive, in my opinion. That's always a threat and always somewhere that people don't want to take him. And then on the Moonies, 10 years younger, uh, quite a bit bigger. Uh, I, I got to imagine that his game plan is to kind of keep on the outside and do mm-hmm. anything he can to keep this off the mat. Although him having a, a BJJ black belt himself does kind of make me think that he'll be able to do enough on the mat to not get submitted by Sosa, which is why I'm ultimately leading Mooney's here. How are you feeling? I think we see it just a little bit different, but
0: man, you know, when you first look at that and see the 10 years to age difference, the six years, um, you know, or six uh, inch reach mm-hmm. um, advantage that he has in a BJJ black belt that can maybe match Jocare, it's absolutely tempting here. When you talk about a fight um, where your career is absolutely on the line with UFC, it, it's Jacare Souza right now. You know, this guy was the strike force middleweight champion. He's been around forever. Um, you look at his paydays. This guy makes two hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars just to show. Um, you are looking out, you know, forking out half a million dollars if Jokare were to win and on, on three fight losing streak right now. And if you can't beat the prospect, you are probably on the way out here, man. But that three fight losing streak, it's just some pretty decent guys. You know, Hermanson in a five round main event. Uh, Hermanson's speed and cardio just ultimately too much down the line for him. But you lose a split decision, split decision. It's in Sao Paulo. But you lose to. Um, you know the the current light heavyweight champion and John Blockwitz. You take him to decision a lot better than a lot of other middleweights have done coming mm-hmm. up. Man, it's that Kevin Holland that people are just you know drawing a bunch from there. And I I pick Sosa. I know Kevin Holland's takedown defense is trash, and and it was going exactly um, you know how Ray could want that fight to go before Kevin Holland. You know just lands that hellacious knockout off his back there and. Slow is a great word for Jacare. Dude, it just plots forward. His speed is gone, but the power is still there. And, you know, I think that's something that he might have success with against Andre Mooney's. Mooney's is a contender series winner who's 2-0 and in the UFC, but when I look and watch those two fights, they don't really impress me too much. He fights Antonio and Arroyo. Both their cardio kind of fails, and Mooney's just has the, the black belt, the grappling to fall back on, and ultimately falls in Antonio Arroyo's guard and just holds him there. And he follows it up with the win over Bartos Fabinski, who he you know he pulls a guillotine, trying and, and then you know loses it, ends up off his back, and, and finds that arm bar that he loves. Neither one of those wins are aging relatively well whatsoever. You've got Duran win out there beating Arroyo, and you've got GM three piecing Fabinski up on the feet before snatching his neck. Um, you know Mooney's just just not seen anywhere near the level of competition that Jacare has, and um, you know there's levels to jiu-jitsu here, and if, if Jacare can keep that chin tucked and protected I like him to win the decision here but at 41 man no I definitely don't trust him with my money
1: and the three fight losing streak I'm with you this is a make or break fight for Mm -hmm. him and the UFC's not going to want to fork over that money for him every single time Uh, Moonies they're setting him up to be a prime contender in the 185 Mm -hmm. division because this is a fight that could really break him into that top 10 and kind of make a name for himself because you're right those other two wins are not aging well at all
0: so you're getting plus money on the under for your middleweights what you thinking
1: I personally think that I would much I feel much more comfortable betting the Mooney's money line than mm-hmm. trying to bet an under on this fight because I think they both have the upside of of winning via decision here.
0: Mooney's and the under I think the same line anyway. Oh, awesome.
1: sure. Kicking off our main card, we have an absolute banger in the featherweight division where we see Hurricane Shane Burgos, who's the -135 taking on Edson Barboza, who comes in at the +115. Uh, Burgos, you know coming out of New York brings that energy mm-hmm. uh, Always in for an exciting fight when Burgos is fighting <laughs> sure. He you know he, He's kind of the the saying take one to give one personified man. He is he is he absolutely welcomes that war and Every single time he fights it seems like we can we can find something in his game that we really really mm-hmm. like about him whether it's the size of him physically at 145 uh, understanding the importance of body shots that lead left hook just getting better and better mm-hmm. as time goes on and I know between you and I we we think he's the dark horse of the division right. man he has so much potential and at 30 years old I think he he really hasn't seen his uh, he hasn't plateaued yet right and I do think the sky's the limit where you move over to Barbosa really he's, he's not looked I, I'll say this since moving down to one thirty one forty five. 145 I think that he hasn't skipped a beat since mm-hmm. since 155. That being said, I do think that the game is starting to catch up to him. Yeah. He's shown yeah. holes in his game. His takedown defense isn't great. Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, this fight it just screams violence to mm-hmm. me. And I know that you and I are both uh, really really happy to play the under two and a half here, sitting at plus money. And uh, I, ju- I just think that this is going to be an absolute banger. Yeah, man. General consistency for fight of the night written all over it, man. And
0: and one of two has like potential to go one of two ways I may say that you know Edson could just be way more talented on the feet and you know every step Burgos takes he just gets beat down in a way like Hooker did as long as his body can take it or you see Burgos just march Edson down maybe the way Gaethje did and put him out of there you Mm -hmm. know but either way like you said fireworks man Burgos riding high off his teammate you know Trezano's win last week and um, just coming off that back-and-forth war with Josh Emmett, you know, and 20 seconds in you see Josh Emmett shatter and tear, like, everything in his knee and still make it a competitive fight. It's 1-1 going into the third round, and Shane Burgos is just tearing that lead leg up. Um, and it's actually, you know, the third round where Emmett drops Burgos twice, you know, and ultimately wins that fight and kind of showed the little um, kind of poor fight IQ, I guess you could say, on Shane's part. It's a little too, little hittable, you know, mm-hmm. for then what we like. Um, but if you let him set the pace, man, he is gonna set an extreme pace from the start. He's gonna double up your strikes with that boxing. He doesn't telegraph anything. The bodywork man slips the jab so well and works the body. Um, but like I said, saying all that to say that this guy is extremely hittable himself and he's facing a talented striker, Edson Marboza, who's, you know, been a top ten of the you know, lightweight division, one of the most stacked divisions for almost a decade now. You know, this guy's gifted us, gifted us with spectacular KOs over um, Terry Etim, you know, Benil Dirouche and the co-main event here, mm-hmm. and the wars he was in with Felder and Tony and, and Dan Hooker, man. And he's finally said he got the contract that he's happy with and he's deserved, and um, rightfully so, but I, I really hope that has not suffered and affected his training because, you know, he's got a dog in front of him with Burgos here. Hasn't skipped a beat. On 45, this guy should be 2-0. and oh, You mm-hmm. know, I think he was robbed against Ige. A majority of people probably think so, and In those first two rounds, he looked really good against Americani, but the third round, you know, it is notable that he spent a lot of time on the back, you know, and Americani on top of him, so maybe the cardio isn't really there for Barboza at at 145, especially if Shane were to get to work the body that could pay dividends on the long run. It is a close fight, man, and I'm really torn on it, but I think Shane Burgos takes this one, man. You know, even when you see Edson drop down, I think Shane's going to. It's going to be the bigger guy in there, and and that pace and stuff and pressure that he's notorious for putting on could probably break Edson late, man.
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting to see that Burgos is coming off of a loss and Barbosa is coming off of a win, yet Burgos (laughs) is the favorite here. Um, I do think that, like you said, Barbosa hasn't skipped a beat, and if he were, you were looking at the majority of the 145-pound weight class, he beats almost all of them. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that he's fighting the dark horse of the division, the one that we truly do think has all the potential in the world, and yeah, we might make a play on Burgos, but the under is definitely what we're looking at. For sure, and I don't know the bout order, all correct or
0: anything, some are saying Schnell is going to start it off, but some of the websites you know, have Bar- uh, Burgos and
1: Barbosa kicking off the pay-per-view, that's the absolute spot it should be in, man. I agree. Another women's flyweight bout where we see Caitlin Chukagian, who's the minus 140, taking on Vivian Arujo, who comes in at the plus 120. Uh, Caitlin Chukagian, you know, she kind of, you, you kind of know what you're going to get. She's a mm-hmm. tall, uh, lengthy striker who has recently kind of mixed in some takedowns here or there, but ultimately her game plan is to keep it on the feet, high-eye you to death, and point out a decision win. Uh, You look at Arujo; she's very physically strong. She moves in and out very quickly. She bounces a whole lot, and uh, has some some hard low kicks and some big overhand rights. But ultimately, you know, she does have a a gas tank issue, and that's where we've seen her get into some trouble. Uh, This fight's lined pretty close, but I'm actually leaning towards the underdog. What about you? Yeah, this is one that we disagree on here.
0: Chukagin and Neil Magny, um, as you know, are my money makers, man. i 've cashed on them multiple times as a betting underdog and course, you know unfortunately I'm not getting too in here at plus money but uh, you know she goes out there and, and really dismantles antonina on the mat and pieces up uh, Calvillo on the feet and to get almost plus 200 in those fights was was insanity to me here she's a former title challenger unreal size for the division and it's just a real hard matchup for a lot of these girls um you know I backed her in Andrage when you were on the side of Andrage there as well in that one um but you know, Chu has already beaten Jennifer Maya, you know, who was the last—not the last, but the other title challenger before—and as well as JoJo and Lauren Murphy, who were in the number one contenders' fight. So much needed for the division um, for Andrade to beat Chukagian in there, or else it was looking at Kagi and probably challenging Valentina yet again. You know, mm-hmm. she is um, she got a resume that is just levels above Rujo and she's got cardio, in my opinion, that's levels above her as well. Good long jab. And I made note, man, you know, her husband's a wrestler. And if you look to her Instagram, she's constantly training the wrestling. And I think that Antonina was just the first fight. that We're going to see constant improvements in that department of Kalen's game. On the side of Vivian, man, you know, you talk about an impressive debut. There is not much known about this, you know, six-in-one Brazilian girl who's not fought a lot of competition. You look through the resume and the only one to notice is Sarah Frota, who finishes her. Um, you know she takes it up at 135, comes in uh, four pounds under on short notice, and just looks phenomenal. I mean, she dances around Tatiana Bernandale and sleeps her in round three with the ladies' knockout that you just don't see too often. You know, um, she's very quick. You talked about her in and out movement. She's got a good step off right hand, but I mean Jessica really had success beating up that lead leg. And if you stretch this girl late, her chin and cardio do tend to fade. I think she doesn't wear shots too well and. You know, if she, if she comes out and does Caitlin Chukey and maybe the way Andrade did, she very well could jump JoJo and Murphy for a title shot with um, Valentina, who I know is wanting to stay pretty active. But man, I think I'm gonna go with my girl Chukey, and she's just a hard matchup for a lot of these
1: girls, and um, it's gonna be a good fight um, for the blonde fighter on Saturday. I have another thing to note for Rougeau is she's she's averaging over two takedowns per mm-hmm. fight. And when I'm watching her tape study, her timing is excellent. Mm-hmm. And you talked about the Jessica I fight kind of being a problem. That was a that was an I who was like four and a half pounds overweight mm-hmm. coming into that fight, and that's a girl that's going to be tough to get down. Where Chuk, you know, 51% takedown defense, she's shown some problems in the past, and I think that that's an, yet another path to victory that Arusha might have, just earning points on the judges' scorecards. Trying to steal some of the the thunder away from the high yaws of Chuuk. Yeah, man, I'm actually interested in that come Saturday because I see Chuuk with the um, you know, with the grappling upside,
0: and always watching the fights together on Saturday. So I'm really curious about this one. That'll be an intense one for
1: sure. We go to the bantamweight division where we see Danger Match Schnell, who's 15 and five, taking on Rogério Bonterren, who's 16 and three. Schnell in his last time out, we paid trying to fade him against yeah. Tyson Nam. You know, we, we looked down his record and saw his last three losses coming by KO and thought Nam would, would touch him up a little yeah. bit. But he, he ate a couple of shots and proved mm-hmm. that he's, he's still got a chin on him. Um, in you know, he has bombs in his hand. So again, that's another thing that I could see happening is mm-hmm. him touching him with like a huge overhand right or something. Um, but the majority of Bontarin's wins come by submission where I think a lot of people think Bonturin might have an advantage on the ground. I know that we're not necessarily convinced. And, you know, oddly enough, this being a 135-pound fight, I think that this is subject to have a a finish in it, although I don't know if we're going to be playing it. Yeah, man,
0: I think we do see it the same way here. This is a fight that was moved up to the pay-per-view after we lost Hermansen and Shabaji in there. Um, Schnell kind of got his name off that flyweight season there where he lost to the eventual winner and um, Tim Elliott. Mm-hmm. Um, UFC really likes what they see in him, so they give him a shot in the UFC still. Um, but, man, it's up at Bantamweight, and it gets Rob Font, who's, what, a fight or two, you know, from winning a ti- or getting a title shot if he stays on track. It's that next fight where a lot of people really don't like it. It's losing to a guy named Hector Sandoval, who, you know, probably or maybe hasn't done anything since mm-hmm. then, um, you know, and... It, he doesn't just cleanly get KO'd on the feet. He's messing around, trying to grab some legs, and he just gets some, you know, some hammer fists dropped on him. It is a bad loss there, but um, he actually repped off, you know, four wins after that one. A lot of people thought he might be done. Nothing to really ride home about, you know, Louis Smolka maybe being the best of those four wins, um, just to kind of get that step up in competition and Pantoja to ruin it for him really, really quick, and and show that that chin can be an issue, but, Man year layoff looked so much more improved, and that Tyson and really made us pay. His chin looked good, his boxing looked good, and his cardio looked good. Trained out of 40th MMA as well a little bit, and he was also, you know, something I think is huge here. He was training for former title challenger and Alex Perez. He was a very, very good wrestler. I think Bontran is going to absolutely, you know, bring the same style of fight to him here. Um, Bontran's on the two-fight losing streak, you know, and out-wrestled by Ray Borg who missed weight. I'll give you a pass, but when you dominate Kaikar France the way you do all around one, holding his bag for over four minutes to just get up and get starched, it really showed the holes in his in his stand up and showed how much better Car France was there. And even in the Holly and Piva fight, you know, that's not going how he likes it. And he you know, he lands a lucky knee that cuts Paiva open and Paiva can't continue. I think Paiva's well on path to win that one there. Bontran just is basic on the feet, man, and he tries to put a lot of power into everything instead of technique and I truly see a hard time for... It's it's knockout or bust for him here. I, I think he's outclassed on the feet technically. And on the mat, Matt Schnell is an absolute freak as well. And is absolutely live for a submission here. Um, I see a lot of people playing that under two and a half. But um, I have locked up a bet already, man, at minus 150, minus 155 on Matt Schnell. I think he's definitely the side here.
1: Yeah, I agree. I have to agree with you. I think Schnell's definitely the side, but... Uh, Bontarin with his with the power in his right. hands and Matchnell's track record, mm-hmm. it's tough for me to even make a bet on this fight. I think there's a couple more spots I like better. Understandable. Under our co-main event of the evening, we see El Kakui Tony Ferguson, who's the plus 160 underdog here, taking on Benil Darouche, who's the minus 185. You know, Tony Ferguson, he's lost his last two, but mm-hmm. you look back at who he's lost them to, and you you can't discredit him at all. You know. Uh, he is before that the only guy that people thought could give Khabib a run for his money and I do think that that's kind of died down since <laughs> but I do think that Tony's great at you know creating scrambles and making fights dirty and that's something that you've seen Benil Darush welcome in his mm-hmm. past few fights you know he he has become war Darush you know yeah. he, he he wants the action and uh he's got his his six fight win streak is riddled with highlights you know it is kind of interesting to note that in his last fight against Diego Ferreira he came out as a primary wrestler and that's not something that you had seen against uh, like Drakkar Close or Holtzman where Mm -hmm. you know it was just a stand-up war I'm curious as to how he's going to come into this fight knowing that Tony Ferguson is so dangerous on the ground yeah man um we locked in that bet with Tony early
0: I think thought we'd actually see him close as the favorite here, but, you know, actually even creeping up there more plus money. And, and it's because the biggest question right now in MMA is, is Tony Ferguson shot, man. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he has been in absolute wars. He leaps that chin so high in the air. You know, like I said, Lando sent him some result across the octagon. Pettis as well. You know, Lee, Kevin Lee had him mounted around one, just, um, you know, could have found the finish there. And, um, you know, tripping over cable cords, tearing his ACL, and, you know, the life-changing beating Justin Gaethje put on him, it literally left him, like, he was shaking his head trying to stay conscious in that fifth round. Um And has it finally added up, man? And I really do think the question's going to be answered here on Saturday. But if that hasn't, and we see the real Tony Ferguson, man, he's a Betty Bravo black belt. He's a collegiate wrestler. He's going to be able to match Dairouche in this grappling. Mm-hmm. Dairouche is not Charles Oliveira when it comes to that, in my opinion. And with Tony, it's an unmatched pace and cardio that... There's really not a person in you know in the UFC that does it the way he does. He has that stabbing front kick, nasty elbows. You know, you, you very rarely get out of a Tony Ferguson fight without wearing any kind of damage. You know, and with the chin that Benil DiRusso has, um, this has potential to just be an absolute shit show of mm-hmm. a fight, man. But one that's going to be absolutely exciting. Benil kind of bust on the you know the fighting scene where he had a jiu-jitsu match with Crone Gracie actually went to a split decision where a lot of people thought he should have got the win actually rewatched on youtube this week and really really close man and took a gracie there and you know kind of put him into the you know people were like hey you could do this for a living and trains out of kings mma now where we see guys like Fattori and meadows giga they're all on a roll right now and mm-hmm. even have you know someone like kevin gaslam who's not doing that great right now but he's seen a side of the game a lot of those other ones haven't um highlight reels throughout that six fight win streak man he's finished five of those inside the distance you talk about the one over holtzman the round with Tricar close is a pleasure to watch anytime you break down their fights but it's really been that grappling that he's fell in love with you saw him you know submit camacho backpack dracar close Mm -hmm. um submit dober as well and and really like you said go to that wrestling heavy attack with cdf and you know i think tony can match him in that department man And, and i think if tony's able to keep this on the feet I think he's going to be too much for ben, uh, Benel Dyrouche and I um, was shocked to see Tony as plus money I'm still shocked to see Tony as plus money and I don't care if it's us against the world I'm, I'm confident on Tony again man
1: I love that and not to mention the, the fight doesn't go the distance at plus 130 mm-hmm. uh, it what else is like kind of exciting is Benil and that Scott Holtzman fight. He was talking about how a kid was using him as a character on UFC and said that, hey, I keep knocking out people online with your spinning back fist. Why don't you try it in, in, in a fight? And he said he saw the opening for it and spammed it twice and ended up getting the knockout. And I could just see this being a fight where both guys will try Any and everything, and you don't really know what to expect. So whether it winds up on the ground or stays on the feet, I do think that this is going to be just an absolute banger, which is why we're banking on violence and Mm -hmm. putting this under two and a half with the Shane Burgos and Edson Barbosa fight into a parlay that makes it extra juicy up in the 400s. Absolutely, man. I love this plate. I love this co-main event. Awesome and for our main event and a title fight for the lightweight championship we have Charles Oliveira who is 30 and 8 taking on my iron Michael Chandler who's 22 and 5 Chandler made a huge splash in his mm-hmm. debut with Hooker and uh we we definitely paid for it yeah, you okay. know we tried to fade him immediately and uh, I know before he came into the UFC I was not too big of a fan on Chandler, (laughs) but I will admit that was not luck that got him that that win against Hooker. He set that strike up from from the very beginning. Um, Chandler, he's the three-time ex-Bellator lightweight champion. He's got 12 first-round finishes, and although I know a lot of people are worried about uh, how good Oliveira is on the ground, he's never been subbed in his professional career. Oliveira, you know, Man, the records go on and on with him. He's got the most wins in UFC, or most finishes in UFC history with 16, and he's currently on the longest active win streak Mm -hmm. at 8 in the lightweight division. Most
0: submission wins in UFC history.
1: Most submission wins in UFC history. I mean, he he really is, at 31 years old, just done it all, Mm -hmm. you know? He has all the experience that you could ask for, and I do think he's finally found his stride and and has rightfully earned his spot here trying to, to fight for the vacant lightweight belt. Um, Oliveira, you know, very complex style. You know, he, he not only does he have all these different types of ways by submission that he could win, but he also is is become very slick on the feet as well, mm-hmm. and gives you a lot of different looks that you're just not prepared for. I think that his two inches of height and three inches of reach will will play a factor in this, and that's why I'm ultimately leaning Oliveira over Chandler and it's tough to get rid of the bias uh, that I already have against Chandler, so in my head, I'm more than happy to make this our challenge for the week, and I, I think I'm I'm happy with Oliveira right here.
0: And I'm more than happy to accept on the side of Michael Chandler here, but you know, to start with Oliveira, you talked about done it, seen it all, man, 21 years old when the UFC signs this guy, and he's fighting Jim Miller, Donald Cerrone right out the gates, mm-hmm. you know, at, at literally 21 and 22 years old, and you know, the form he's in at 31, really might be the division sleeper and rightfully really earned this title spot that he's in he's finished seven of those eight inside the distance you know when you really look at all of them though I will say you know some of them it's a lot of vets you know got the Jim Miller one back Nick Lentz you know Clay Guida a lot of these guys are on the very tail end of their careers and I don't want to say scrubs but man David Tamer and Jared Gordon you know they're they're no match for Charles Oliveira here and There's only two of these, uh, two out of the eight fights that are top fifteen guys, and it's the last two that he's looked really, really good against, man. And then it's the Kevin Lee and the, you know, Kevin Lee's coming off his um, performance over Gregor Gillespie, and then he goes out there and beats him. And then the grappling clinic that he just put on Tony Ferguson, um, you know, Charles Oliveira, like you said, looks more better than he ever has. But um, just play devil's advocate because I'm on the Chandler side, you know. Kevin Lee was two and three going into that fight. It's the very first fight with no crowd, and he's all the way down in Brazil and stuff. And we'll find out Saturday, but who knows if Tony's the same? You know, I mm-hmm. feel like Chandler is is going to be a is going to be a force for him come Saturday. But on the mat, absolutely unreal black belt, and that striking is improving. Is shown that he's nasty in the clinch. Nice little uppercut. But what I don't really like the the most about Oliveira is that gas tank does fade. And he doesn't wear a really, shots really well, and for a guy like Chandler who has that knockout power and first round ability, um, that's why I really lean him. And you know, a lot of people are they're not happy with this title fight, I, rightfully so. I get it. Maybe Chandler doesn't deserve it, but with Gaethje not stepping up and, and Dustin chasing the money fight, mm-hmm. not a lot of people left there on a win streak besides Chandler here. And Dan Hooker started landing those calf kicks and started looking good. I started kind of liking that bet for a second, and mm-hmm. then. Michael Chandler said all right no more you know put the foot on the gas after setting up that body shot so much and sent Hooker flying back you know he's a Nashville boy we got to cheer for him you know I throw a picture up there where I met him at one of the Nashville events but he trains out of Sanford MMA which is one of the better gyms that we got right now going on just an absolute workhorse name Iron Mike for a reason man he's going to be able to keep this pace for five rounds something I don't think Charles is going to be able to do and I mean, Charles has um, not got the chin um, to handle Michael Chandler's type of power in. Um, you know, I originally, on Chandler Heavy, retracted that bet, kind of got nervous. Once I really got into tape study, man, I really put that bet back on Chandler, and I'm confident I'm on Saturday, but there's nobody in better form right now than Charles Oliveira.
1: Yeah, I, I I hate that, you know, I'm not personally making a bet on this, but I do like that we kind of disagree on this one, mm-hmm. and ultimately, it'll be a great one to kind of kick back and just enjoy, because that is guaranteed violence. It is, man. And
0: that concludes the breakdown for the whole UFC 262 pay-per-view, and as always, what we'd like to do for you guys is pick out a couple things that you should pay attention to on Saturday, and the first one, what's the best fight everybody needs to keep an eye on?
1: Hey, right, mine's gotta be Shane Burgos versus Edson Barboza, uh, we've already bet the under on it, and... I mean, I I don't see how that one isn't just an absolute barn burner from start to finish. What about you?
0: Got to be the co-main event with Tony Ferguson and Vanille DeRouge. Potential to be a shit show with both of these guys' chin. Something we're parlaying the under end for a little violence parlay, and it's going to be a very, very fun co-main event. If there's a fighter that I think you guys need to keep an eye on, (laughs) I'm going to stay in that co-main event with Tony, man. That's, like I said, biggest question in MMA right now is this Tony Ferguson shot. Is he finally had enough at 37 years old after that life-changing beating? Guy we need to keep an eye on. I think a lot of questions are going to be answered on Saturday.
1: I like it. I'm going to have to go with Shane Burgos, you know, coming (laughs) off of that loss. He's got a lot of questions he's got to ask, and we really do think that he's the dark horse of the division, and against somebody like Edson Barbosa, this is an excellent opportunity for him to catapult into the rankings. It is. Um, For my underdog, no shock there in our challenge. Michael
0: Chandler's my underdog of the week there to get him at plus 115. Um, I, man I think Michael Chandler is unfortunately for a lot of people going to be the UFC's lightweight champion on Saturday what's your best underdog
1: it's true I, I'm gonna have to go with Arujo. Uh, truly I don't think there's a ton of underdogs that'll be barking this weekend but I, I do think that that's a play that I'm, I'm fairly confident on Let's see that our best bet actually is going to come from the same fight
0: um, I know we've already released a play on Pickett there at Pickham Um, Pickett is probably my my solid pick that I feel really, really good about this week against Jordan Wright, but I don't feel the same way on your best bet here. Yeah, my
1: best bet's going to be the over one and a half, and listen here, okay? Preston let me me know before this that Wright has never gone to the judges. That's something I didn't know, but if this hits... (laughs) big brain right here okay <laughs> I've, I've figured it out and i'm personally going to be betting the over two and a half as well which is you'll get it a, a good plus money price mm-hmm. um so yeah i'm going to go with the right picket over absolutely man that concludes the breakdown for ufc 262
0: get in the comments there let us know who you guys have in the main event this week since we're split and thanks for watching as always and hope you're cashing with us Peace. Okay.